Hi guys, welcome to the Fret Success Guitar Show. I like to share some tips and tricks on guitar playing, go through some gear reviews and the new things that are coming out, talk about the industry in general, interviews with people in the industry, and just some general chit chat. So here we go. Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of the Fret Success Guitar Show podcast. Uh, I'm excited to introduce you to some new music this week, uh, a band called Jibbers. Uh, we've got some Paul Gilbert, I've been checking out his recent album and uh, playing a track from that. And we've got uh, Jason Isbell, who's a guy I've come across quite recently, who's quite a famous rock guitar player. Uh, so I want to play some of his stuff as well. Uh, diving into a guitar lesson and also checking out our main feature artist spotlight, which is when I caught up with David Wax Museum when they were here at the Calgary Folk Festival Block Heater Festival this year. Um, the video version has gone out, so I'm going to put that at the end of this episode for those guys that want to listen. Uh, really interesting talking to them uh, about their songwriting process, guitar playing, lyric writing, which is something that has always uh, confused me a little bit <laughs> over the years. Uh, so it's nice to get some insight from a, a band that does it really, really well. Um, so yeah, let's dive into that and check out some of the latest guitar news now. Right, so let's dive into the news. I'm going to start off with some gear, first of all. Uh, and I'm basically looking at the new PRS stuff that's come out. And they've gone acoustic for this time. Um, so they've done some interesting parlor-shaped acoustic guitars, uh, the P20 and P20E. They look really cool, actually. I think this this looks really cool. Minimalist, nice. Uh, the parlor guitars are great because they're, they're smaller-bodied, so great for like kids or people with a smaller figure. So that really helps um, the people. And nonetheless, this is actually an SE affordable range. So the the actual sound of them, I had a quick check out of the videos and they do sound really impressive, actually. Um, I'm quite impressed. Uh, they've actually used the Hybrid X kind of classical bracing uh, for their construction, which is an interesting way of going about it. But I always respect the way that Paul Reed Smith goes about building his guitars because he knows what he's doing. He's improved on the models that we all love. Uh, to make some quite fantastic instruments, really. Um, so they're all mahogany, solid top, laminate back and sides. Um, and the P20E actually is the electric version, which has got the Fishman uh, GT1 pickups, which are using that kind of sound hole mounted preamp, uh, which does so well in acoustic guitars. I mean, I, I love that Fishman pickup. It's it's awesome. So uh, check that out. And uh, PRS are just pull, blowing out of the park all this time. Um, so yeah, something to watch out for and uh, see if you can get your hands on one to play. So next, it's always tough to talk about these things with the current goings on in the world, but um, it just shows the ingenuity and the creativity of the artists that we have in the industry, um, showing that the Dropkick Murphys are playing a live stream gig with Bruce Springsteen. And it's quite interesting. It's not like your typical live feed in your kind of bedroom setup. They're going for something a bit more unique. Um, and they're streaming their performance straight from the iconic Fenway Park in Boston, um, which is a bit strange, but um, I'm, I'm thinking that's quite a good idea. Um, and they're basically going to have a fully plugged in performance, but have no one in the sports stadium, which should be pretty funny and a bit crazy for them. Um, but why not? Why the hell not? So that's interesting to see the boss teaming up with uh, those guys. Uh, they may have done it before. I'm not aware, but it's definitely a collaboration that I wouldn't have seen coming anytime soon, but that's really cool. I, I have a soft spot for the Dropkick Murphys, saw them years and years ago. Uh, just an intense kind of scar, kind of intense uh, band, uh, kind of this punk, kind of Celtic vibe they give off. Um, it's really cool, good stuff. We're checking out and doing that with uh, Springsteen as well. Well, what an opportunity for those guys, really. Um, so definitely check that out. That's going out on the 29th of May at 6pm uh, Eastern Time for those guys that are in North America. Um, but yeah, I'm sure it'll be set to be able to view afterwards on the follow, you know, the usual Facebook, YouTube things. So that's something definitely to watch out for. And finally, I just wanted to give a brief, somber kind of mention to the end of the news. Uh, very recently found out that uh, Paddy Bowden, the, the kind of wife of Bruce Dickinson, was actually found dead at their home. Um very recently, or today, uh, on my recording, um, on the 19th of May. Uh, no one really knows why she wasn't very well. Um, so yeah, uh, it's really a shame to hear that. Bruce has had his own struggles with health over the years, but has got through them. Um, great guy, inspirational guy to listen to, even outside of the kind of music realm. 
doing a lot for all sorts of things and uh, always an inspiration voice-wise for me, such a powerful voice and just consistency, awesome kind of presence that he brings to live sets and so it's it's tough to hear that he's going through some bad stuff but um, thoughts are definitely with him so yeah, that concludes the news and we'll move on to a track. So the first track of today's podcast is by a band called Jibbers and their song Free. Uh, they're a band from Northwest England and they're relatively new to the scene but are getting a good following. This track is quite a powerful anthemic kind of sound, uh, typical of that kind of Northwest England, Manchester roots kind of uh, sound, you know, Oasis, those sorts of things, uh, with more of a modern kind of twist to it. So quite a huge track, huge sounding track. So uh, have a listen and check them out. Um, they have a Facebook page. You'll find them Jibbers Band, I think it's called. Um, but yeah, check it out. So for this episode's guitar lesson, I'm going to go through the F sharp minor seven chord. Uh, it's quite a commonly used chord, even in pop rock music, and uh, quite a versatile one. This is a slightly different shape. I'm going to show you, but uh, this should hopefully give you some insight into some slightly more exciting chords. Uh, it's taken from my YouTube channel video, quite a popular uh, video. Uh, feel free to subscribe to the channel to get up to date videos from there and uh, all the content in more of a video form. So check this one out. So I'm going to play through the chord first so you know what we're dealing with. So this one's quite easy if you played the A6 in one of my other lessons. It's essentially the A6 but you put your thumb over the top to play that F sharp. But going through it, the easiest way to do this is put your thumb there on the top 
And you might just need to rotate your hand round a little bit just to get that thumb over. Some say it's bad practice, but I quite like using the thumb, so it's up to you. So what we do is put that on the second fret, which is the F sharp note, and then we leave the open A note, A string that, and then we then sequence our fingers. So we go finger one, two, three, four, down through the second fret on all the rest of the strings. So we put our first finger there, and then we put our second finger there on the G string, third finger there on the B string, and the fourth finger there on the final E string. So playing that through, Might be a slightly different version than you're used to, more of an open sound. It just saves you having to do that big bar chord F sharp minor thing here. So the notes in this are the first note of the scale, the minor third, the fifth, and the minor seventh note. So for the F sharp case, that's F sharp, A, C sharp, and E. And then we just double up a couple of those to get our guitar sound. I hope this has been useful. Have fun with it. And make sure you go to the Fret Success website and sign up there to join the free academy that takes you through a few different chords and loads of lessons to get you started on guitar. Even if you've been playing a while, it might be good to go back, revisit and get a few top-ups on the different scales, the chords and a few different techniques and tips that I've got in there. The next track I'm going to play is by the infamous Paul Gilbert, um, big fan of his uh, and I haven't had a chance to play any of his music on the show yet but I've just been listening to this album over and over again and thought this track uh, stood out for me. Love is the saddest thing. Uh, it's a fantastic tune, jam style thing, but the intricate guitar work that he does on it is quite just mind-blowing really. Uh, and he and he's just lots of live versions of it which are just as immaculate. So Paul Gilbert is a huge hero of mine. Um, so here's his track.
a little bit more music now just before we dive into the artist spotlight interview uh, this is a track by Jason Isbell I recently came across his music actually and uh, quite an incredible kind of sound to his voice uh, he's a singer songwriter and the guitar player um, this is the track Be Afraid he's teamed up with his band um, that joined him on tour and seems to be more of an integral part of his sound now so uh, check this out and see what you think To this episode of the Fret Success Guitar Show. I'm here at the Block Heater Festival uh, 2020 in Calgary. I'm joined by uh, the David Wax Museum. Uh, hi guys, thanks for coming over. Our pleasure, thanks yeah. for having us. All the way from Charlottesville. That's right. <laughs> We've got uh, David here and Sue's here. I'd love to talk about who you are and kind of what you do in the band and, and a little bit of history, really. That'd be cool. Great. Sure. Um, we started the band in 2007 and um, we have been um, touring around the world um, kind of since 2009. We kind of left the Boston area where we got started and started touring more extensively throughout the States and Europe and Canada. And um, now we call Charlottesville Virginia home, which is where Suze grew up. Um, we draw uh, heavily from Mexican folk music, uh, but we have a foot in indie rock and American folk. And um, this weekend at 
Block Eater Festival, we were playing as a trio with our, our drummer, multi-instrumentalist Danilo Enriquez, and he's been playing with us for the last five years. We just put out our seventh studio record called Line of Light uh, this past, just in the last six months. My name is Sue Slezak, and um, I play fiddle and accordion and sing in the band. And for the early part of our, our band days, I played an instrument that was made from the jawbone of a donkey. So that was kind of like in our bio and people get excited about the donkey jawbone. But in the past year, it's been giving me nerve pain. Oh, okay. <laughs> Which is kind of intense, <laughs> intense. Um, my, it's been hurting me and so I've been taking a break. So I don't have the donkey jawbone okay. um, at this festival. Having a break in Calgary. Okay. Exactly. Um, but David and I met in 2007 and started, started the band and um, we now tour with our two kids and often a five-piece band. Mm -hmm. um, it's been um, really an adventure to get to experience the world through music and sharing in that way. We get to interact with so many people and you know, although people think you get to kind of see all these incredible places in the world, often it's just the back door and green rooms that you see, mm -hmm. um, but it's still this amazing, um, the music is such a vessel and, and lets us, lets us um, interact with people we would have never met, like you. I've been introduced to your music quite recently and it's definitely a cacophony of all sorts of influences and all sorts of things going on, which is what makes it so appealing, I think. Um, all sorts of instruments and do you have people standing in to play those things? So how does that all work? Because you've got obviously Mexican influence, American influence, folk, electronics in there as well and you've got drums, piano and all sorts of things going on. So who, who does what? Well, I mean, I guess there's two different ways to answer that. Some of that, you know, is what happens in the studio where it's very loose, where lots of people are picking up lots of different instruments and, and we have a large family of musicians that are kind of part of the museum and have been part of the studio records. Um, and that's a lot more amorphous. And we both have a background in piano, and, and so in the piano and key world, that's something we both can kind of jump into a little bit. I like have percussive ideas, but can't implement them. So uh, the live show is, I guess there's a couple, ways to think about that. One is like, what do you do when you have to fly into a festival like this? And in a way it's kind of like, what's our simplest, most streamlined version of the band? And for me, it's like, okay, I'm just gonna play one acoustic guitar, one of my small Mexican guitars. You know, in the studio I'll have five or six different uh, stringed instruments from Mexico that all have very different textures and tunings and are played in different uh, styles. So in the studio, I wanna have all those available, but live it's like what what's the most simple thing we can do um, and I have a little synthesizer that's like a, just a handheld little synthesizer that I can use for the live set and when we're touring with the van and all our equipment Suze is playing more keyboards um, but here it's like all right bringing the accordion and the fiddle is the most streamlined version kind of transposing the keyboard parts to the accordion and using uh, an octave pedal on the violin to cover some of the more of the bass stuff when we don't have our bass player with us. And then our drummer is playing a new, a little Yamaha synth, and so a lot of the bass parts and some of these different kind of synth pads are covered back there with him. Uh, and then all three of us are singing. So we feel like we're covering a lot of ground as a trio, but you know, you have to kind of very quickly uh, adapt to a different reality and kind of you know, some of that's dictated by what's, what can you fly with? And what can we like, we're, we bring so much equipment, it has to be under 50 pounds, you know, to get in the suitcase. And we've just got back from this UK tour as this trio. And so we're kind of trying to uh, reimagine the songs for the three of us in this context. So you've been doing that a lot? Just in 2020, it's been kind of right, okay. a way to, to do some international touring, uh, but not, you know, lose our shirts over it, so. So when you go through your songwriting process, you've got a, obviously there's no limits by the sound that I can pick up, and kind of just whatever the song requires. 
But, but how does that process start? What's the typical way of doing it? Is there one? I mean, yeah, there, there is a typical start. I feel like, at least I, I've been listening to my friend Joe Pug's podcast and kind of hearing people talk about whether you're someone that maybe starts with a guitar and just kind of can write a song and basically like you could play it and sing all the words just on a guitar and, that, and kind of build it verse, chorus and bridge and kind of that or um, another style writing that's more of like you're in the studio and you're kind of like setting the BPM and coming up with the drum loop that you're playing to and then kind of cutting and pasting and rearranging the song like that. And I'm more the, the first way. Yeah. Um, I don't have a lot of uh, strengths using anything in, in the studio from an engineering perspective or kind of that technical side. So for me, it's always been like having one of these stringed instruments in my hands. The trick for me is kind of the coming up with different ways to generate new material and to be doing that as often as possible. And so I have a lot of techniques I've developed over the years where I'll sit down and kind of give myself a window and some parameters, kind of starting without any idea, but kind of just riffing off of some lick or um, something that, you know, there's some melodic line I've been thinking about or singing. And so a lot of it's kind of uh, improvisation and riffing and trying to kind of lose myself in it. Often what'll happen is he will be upstairs doing that kind of improvisational jamming solo <laughs> and kind of spouting ideas. And I'll be downstairs working on something and kind of hear this little section that sounds incredible. You know, it sounds like, oh wow, that's such a beautiful line or a really cool hook. And so I'll kind of run upstairs and be like, David, did you, did you, do that thing again. And he'll be like, oh, what thing? <laughs> As if like he has no clue that he just kind of sang this gorgeous line. Mm -hmm. But luckily it's all recorded so we can like go, he'll have his little recorder on so we'll go back and I'll be like, that's, 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 that's it. <laughs> yeah, it's much easier now, isn't it? To, when you've got everything recorded. Mm, definitely. I find the problem with that though is that you get into idea overload sometimes and if you're not keeping on top of it. That's why, yeah, I have a partner who comes in. Pinpoints what. That's <laughs> good, you need that person. Because one thing I really like about your music is the harmonies work so well, not just vocally, but instrumentally, it all just complements each other and creates textures. How does it go from being a simple, rustic guitar and vocal to this cacophony of sound, basically? Yeah, I mean, some of that is the. Um just the process of being in the studio, studio and I think um, I've always loved uh, records and um, songs uh, that are produced to kind of this more maximal, um, fleshed out, uh, kind of multi-dimensional, uh, vibrant world. Like that's I think the stuff that when I was a kid and started listening to recorded music, like that's the stuff that made me feel like there's this entire world out there that's kind of condensed into a song or that it's like a gateway into a whole other's experience beyond my own. Um, and so I think that as we've started um, and ha as we've kind of looked for producers um, for a lot of the earlier records, we've kind of gone very fully in that direction. Um, with the latest record, I think we tried to kind of pull back a little bit and get down to the core of what we really kind of love doing, which is singing together and being in a room and um, try to resist some of those urges to kind of keep elaborating and expanding and trying to kind of hone it a little bit more. And so we thought we found a really great uh, studio and producer for that kind of record. Um, but a lot of it is, I mean, it's, it's hard to generalize beyond that because every time we've gone in there and every song has kind of been different in terms of like, are we starting with a bunch of people in a room doing basic tracking mm -hmm. to get the rhythm track and, you know, kind of a guide that we can go back and all and re-sing it and then start adding, you know, start adding things from there. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, one of the challenges of being a recording artist in the 20, in 2020 is that, that there's all, it's limitless in terms of what you can add. And so, 
I think there's a push and pull too, because Suze's, I think, had experiences in the studio where she's kind of had a flavor of that, like the kind of elaboration and adding her tons of her vocals and tons of her violins. And, uh, you know, I think has come to it more slowly because her background is more as kind of growing up playing in an old time uh, traditional music community. Okay. So not kind of like going in the studio and building this whole world, you know, it's, it's kind of like, well, what's the core is like these the voices and the harmonies and the, you know. So we kind of come from different perspectives and then we kind of have the producer and have the, the band and, you know, there is this, uh, it's kind of gonna go in all these different directions and we're kind of loosely steering it with our push and pull of kind of our, where we're coming from. Our, our producer from this last record described it as like a Ouija board, you know that thing? So yeah, you're like, yeah. you're sort of controlling it, but it sort of has a life of its own. And that's really what the feeling in the studio. relish in that environment more than say pre-production compositional you kind of let's go in the studio and we like that environment and it makes us vibe off each other is that where you make most of your music well no, no, no. <laughs> no it's too i mean we don't have our own studio yeah so it's a you know you're constrained by kind of time and money when you're in the studio yeah, in a different sure. way yeah. we've been very fortunate that our experiences in the studio have been in places where we felt relaxed and not like we were on the clock. And the vast majority, at least of the the lyrics and the melodies and the the structure of the song is all happening before that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I love kind of the pre-production time uh, working with Suze and then bringing in a producer to hear the songs and kind of help craft them at that stage as well. We've just finished up a, a new project and you know, I was trying to work on some of these songs for years. And I finally, you know, just having the recording date in the calendar was like, all right, well then it's just like, you finally have to force yourself to finish. And you kind of just have to make those decisions, uh, lyrical decisions or structural decisions. Um, to just be, for me, it's helpful just be a, have that be as far advanced as possible, to not waste time in the studio, but to still be open to that evolving and changing, of course, in light of kind of you want to have, there's some magic when you're in the studio and everybody's there. And so you don't want to totally negate that or close the door on that happening. Okay, I'd like to go over a little bit more about maybe your guitar playing, David, Foundations. Um, oh, I don't have very many. Okay, because <laughs> like when I listen to your chord progressions, they're not... They're not straightforward. They sound like they're going to be, and then they take like a twist and just keep you hooked, and they kind of meander, and you go, "It's really cool and interesting." So, mm. is, is that just something natural that you just do? Or? What do you think? Well, I mean, I wonder if some some of the chord progressions are really influenced by the Mexican folk music okay. that he spent yeah, a lot yeah. of time studying and, and learning about. That might might be what what you're hearing. This is. <clears throat> a compliment, but it's not going to sound like fun. <laughs> Some of the songs on this latest album, we were kind of in conflict about what key they were in. Okay. Because he thought it starts on the four chord, which is kind of unusual. Mm-hmm. And so he thought it was in that key, even though I was certain <laughs> that was the four chord and it was actually in the tonic was a different, oh. different key. Um, what I was going to say is that backhanded compliment or something is just like David's and to a certain degree my lack of musical theory knowledge and neither of us went to music school means that he's not I'm more constrained by well I know this is the one chord so what's going to fit next I am constrained by that but he's not really because he's really not thinking in a music theory realm at all he's just kind of riffing so these kind of interesting things happen that I feel like if I were writing that song, I would never let that happen because, well, that's, you don't start in a four chord. That's just, or whatever the thing may be. Maybe that's what it is. It, it sounds really different and unique. So I, it was the main thing I picked up on when mm-hmm. I first listened, I was like, just, just kind of keeping my attention. I need to keep listening to it to kind of figure out what's going on here. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting question, I guess, thinking about like, as someone who doesn't really have, I mean, I, I, I studied jazz piano as a kid. So I have, I'm not, we played with incredible artists where you get up on stage and you're like, and they want you to jump in and you're like, what key is it? And they're like, 
I don't know. I don't know what key is in. I just put the capo on this fret and, yeah. you know, I couldn't tell you anything. I know something about chords. I'm not totally in the dark about it, but there's so many things that are satisfying about a one and a four and a five and how those fit together. And the Mexican folk songs are based on that too, but there's always these weird kind of twists to it. And the fact that the on the, the Mexican guitars, it's not, there's always like a six string or something that's sort of still ringing. So it is a the weird one tunings, chord, yeah. but there's like a six in there or something. So that I think mm -hmm. that also throws some new sounds under the palette. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing that informs that harmonically is um, kind of a, a great uh, admiration for someone like Paul Simon, um, who like has these, you know, like a lot of the songs have very straightforward elements where the chords are not predictable ever, but they're kind of, you know, you can kind of like pick it apart. And, but then there's always some moment of the song where it, it totally explodes into another realm quarterly. And so all of a sudden it's like, I, I think I had read somewhere where he'd said, you know, like it's almost like he wants every chord to be in the song. And so if he had like, hasn't used those chords yet, then that's the, the bridge is where it's like all of a sudden it's kind of like a whole other world. And I feel like that's really inspiring lyric, you know, for the lyrics, if you kind of do that. And I think um, if you kind of build in some kind of release for the listener to have it go somewhere else so that when you come back to the first part, there's just like a deep uh, satisfaction for the listener, I think, so. That makes me feel like we should play January tonight. Oh yeah? We could. The bridge goes yeah. somewhere crazy. But I, didn't, I didn't like it at first. <laughs> yeah. Really. I just want to stay in the zone. Yeah. <laughs> but I think I knew, yeah, I just like, and some of it's, you know, sometimes I just, when I'm stuck writing, I'll just, you know, grab like a book of songs down from the shelf and like just flip through and try to find weird chords. That just so my hands do something different and I'm pretty unpredictable for myself. Yeah. So I, mean, I don't know. I've, I feel like I've loved have, working with producers too that have been like, all right, let's reevaluate what these chords are because maybe you could be doing totally different chords or instead of just going back from the one and then the two minor, like where can this go up on the scale some more? And then what is, how does that change what's happening? Rhythm is also a huge part. I found it's it's in the same kind of vein. Um, have you? Was that, in terms of your foundations, were you kind of good at rhythm generally? And have you worked on that to get better? Um, How is that forming part yeah. of your sound? It's definitely an identity, I think. Sure. It's just, I always go back to this time when I had friends back in England and we would listen to mariachi music and mm -hmm. that sort of thing. And we would have percussion instruments in the house and we would sit there and shake things along. And it's like, mm -hmm. when I listen to your music, it's like, it makes me want to go back to yeah. doing that sort of stuff. Yeah, definitely. I think that, uh, some of it's the limitations of a musician like myself that uh, I don't have any <clears throat> skill really for kind of playing uh, lead. Mm -hmm. So I've always been um, someone that's like, all right, well, what I can do, I'm gonna play the rhythm. Like, and that's, but then you kind of like hit, like after you're kind of just playing boom, chick, boom, chick rhythm, like you hit a wall pretty quick in terms of like your interests or you're like, you're like, okay, we'll have to do something different because this is not that interesting to me. And uh, the Mexican, uh, rhythms for me just like opened up a whole other world where like oh as a rhythm guitarist I could learn all these other things that feel like more related to my skill set than trying to do this other thing which I don't feel like I can do at all um, and so it's hard but it's kind of something that's accessible we've had this experience recently with this uh, musician from Veracruz named Zanen Zeferino who is like a master Hirana player so that's the, the main Mexican guitar that I play and I feel like when I'm with him and playing with him, I'm like, oh, I'm just like at level one or two and he's at level 10 with this, you know? Yeah. And he like, I'll never be like that. Um, There's always guys like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, but it's, so it's amazing to just feel like, okay, like my, these, all these cool rhythms that I'm doing, I'm still like at this basic level as someone who's kind of coming outside of the tradition, didn't grow up with it. I guess I'm just always more interested in songwriting than like sitting around and practicing rhythm guitar or lead guitar, like everything for me is kind of in service to the songs. Sure. And that's the guiding force. I think there's been a lot of songs that we've taken that could have maybe gone in a more straightforward Americana vibe, but in the studio or with the producer or kind of 
as I'm working on the song and getting bored with it, once I start playing on the Mexican guitar, use the Mexican rhythms, I find that it opens up a lot more doors uh, to explore and a lot more, uh, just seems more generative as um, a starting point. And so I think we've kind of pursued that muse to see kind of what we can build that in, in a way has then become part of the sonic identity of the band. That's like, oh yeah, it's got these like these six, eight rhythms and there's all this syncopation. And then you bring it like the drummer that we've been playing with for, for so long now has got like an Afrobeat background, you know, or that's, he's like got a foot in that world. And so he's kind of thinking of, and here's the six, eight rhythms, like it has so much shared commonality with African music. That's where a lot of those rhythms came from. So then he's bringing those kind of that background and he grew up kind of playing cumbia with his dad from El Salvador and so then you have kind of that element of Latin rhythms. When you're turning to more of the string arrangements and the harmonies, mm -hmm. how, how are you going about that process? The harmonies are something that are so intrinsic to me. I, I can't, Just naturally. I can't really yeah. explain how I do it. Um, People have kind of asked for tips on singing harmony, and it's hard for me to mm -hmm. to even teach it because it's something I've done since I was so little. Okay. When my I was growing up, um, I was homeschooled by my dad. Mm -hmm. And we, one of the things we did a lot was um, sing rounds. Okay, yeah. So you know, you have to hold your part, yep. three or four parts. Mm -hmm. So when we were really little, you could like hold your part. And that I think is actually really good training for harmony singing because everyone's singing a different note, part of the same chord probably, and you have to keep your part. But here, kind of the beautiful chords that it's making. So the harmonies just feel like just go in there and I'm some of them I'm thinking about when he's um, writing the songs I'll already be humming downstairs okay. and, and coming up with harmonies but so much of it is just so natural and so fun I love it um, and then the studio now we get to you know like add these layers of voices mm -hmm. and that's just pure joy for me I could do that all day so is it mainly you that does the harmonizing yeah, and usually there's a third part from another one of our other okay. playmates. Sure. But some of them, there'll be like a multiple Sue's vocals. Sue's vocals. Yeah, any, any lady singing is me. Um, and same with the violin. Yeah, I just I could just like bask all day in, in adding layers of harmonies to make these string sections. Because there are songs that have like a counter melody with the, your mm -hmm. vocal and mm -hmm. mm -hmm. compliments as well. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you guys have been performing together for years. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, you <laughs> I think it was like our 1300th show or something right, okay. tonight. Yeah, I mean, um, sometimes I I think some, sometimes I uh, am thinking about counter melodies or because I don't have a very good ear for like a, what the, like Susan knows what the harmony should be. Okay. Like what the third and the fifth are. I don't, I don't have an ear for that at all. So I guess I'm always thinking like, what, yeah, is there another melody that the, that other voice could sing or, Sometimes I can riff on some idea, and then Suze will try to like translate whatever I'm, whatever I'm spitting out, and can and can kind of shape it into, you know, something real. Um, but so sometimes when we're working on parts together, yeah, it's like a lot of just like going back and forth. Um, Suze does a lot of improvisation in the live set, but we've been thinking more and more about kind of more arranged parts mm -hmm. and working on that. The other exciting thing I've been doing lately is using pedals for my fiddle for the first time. So, you know, electric guitar pedals. So I grew up um, playing old time music and kind of in that bluegrass, you sure. know, folky yeah. vein, and there were no pedals. You know, you never plugged in your violin. But now, like playing on the stage with drums and, and our more electric setup, I, you know, plug in my fiddle. But then now I'm, you know, the basic reverb pedal and um, this harmonist pedal where yeah. you can, like, have you know make harmonies yourself or I've been using the octave pedal um, and then these new that ocean pedal that has like shimmer and yeah. mod I don't even know what they stand for with <laughs> the tremolo I don't know what all the things are but it's so fun to either bow with those effects 
or I've been doing a lot of um, pizzicato and like holding it down here like a mandolin and plucking it. So I'll do that tonight. And um, it just opens up just new, new palettes for the same instrument and it's been really exciting. Moving on to more lyrical side of things, um, where do you pull influences from? Me, personally, I'm terrible at writing lyrics. I can write guitar riffs, songs, guitars, and then when it comes to lyrics, I crash in bed. So I'd love to hear some tips as to how you kind of come up with these lyrics that are so relatable, clearly have a personal angle, but just mm -hmm. seem so relatable for people as well. I mean, some of it's having, a, I live with my editor, so that's that's important. Okay. Have someone that kind of can help keep you keep it uh, relatable. Keep it relatable. <laughs> um, there are a lot of ways to think about it, and I, I've um, been writing songs since I was 13, so I, I've kind of tried a lot of different ways of doing it. And I don't, I don't think there's like this is the way to write song lyrics. Like there's just so many ways that work, and you know, I just know that if I hear a song and I think the lyrics are kind of like throwaway lyrics, I can't listen to the song. Yeah. I just, I have to discard the song. I just, it gets in the way if the lyrics aren't just like, have some meaning to the songwriter or the singers um, and are saying something. And so, um, but if it's something that's like didactic or saying, you know, like, this is what the song is about and this is what I want you to feel, you know, it's, it's like you have to create a space for the, the listener to kind of inhabit the world and be able to bring their own meaning to it. And you're kind of guiding them, kind of emotionally guiding them somewhere. Um, I think good places to start are kind of thinking about places that are emotionally vulnerable in your psyche uh, yeah. and going into those places. I think that's a, like a fruitful place as a writer. Yeah. I think that sometimes it starts as total nonsense and you kind of try to get to some level of your subconscious, uh, you know, relationship to the world and you're just... I'm just kind of spouting nonsense, but then I'm trying to go back and decode it and decipher it. And then through that process, kind of finding some image or some sound that I really love and then kind of trying to build a narrative in my mind um, about where, what this song is, what I think this song is about. So there's so much of like, there's a delicate balance of like how much you're imposing on it and how much you're kind of trying to follow it. Sometimes I'm picking up a poem that I really love and singing to it and kind of just having that be a starting point and then I start kind of what if well, what if what would the next verse be like that's not already written by this other poet sometimes I'm translating Mexican folk songs into English and that's my starting point you know it's just like there's no for me it's just like anything goes mm -hmm. that can get you just doing it and then I think not accepting that it's done like I think that very rarely have we done a record where I felt like, okay, it's, um, I've kind of like dissected it so many times or tried so many different approaches. And every once in a while a verse gets on there that I know is not as good as it could be. But a lot of it's just kind of writing 10 more verses, you know, and not kind of that like Leonard Cohen school of thought that's just like, you know, just continuing to do it. Keep writing those verses and, and luckily I have someone that can kind of like help me sift through it and like Suze has a perspective because she's one step outside of it that she can kind of identify what what values there in a way that I try to be agnostic about it and try to just generate stuff and not judge it but you need to at some point judge it and make decisions and so I feel like that's I've been very fortunate to kind of find a partner like Suze that can be outside of the song one step but still very deeply involved in every piece of it uh, to help us kind of figure out well, what's the song about or what's what's speaking to her and then kind of that let that guide where the song goes lyrically. I know you diagnosed with uh, bipolar and I, I wondered if that kind of relates to how songs are coming about now and what is that influencing the process at all and what's that been like for you? Yeah, um, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder in my 20s. Right, okay. And then was, you know, medicated and, and got, got better for a while okay. and was um, off meds and touring and having kids. Mm -hmm. We have two little kids now. Um, but last year, 
I was sort of having a relapse of these symptoms, um, which are like, you know, this sort of manic, you know, nights where you can't sleep, your brain is going so fast. Mm -hmm. For me, it often involved kind of this writing and kind of this sort of creative burst, um, but then it would always be followed by a massive depressive crash. And I think the question for me now, I'm, you know, back on really great medicines that I highly recommend to anyone going through a similar thing. Sure. Um, but the big question, you know, the psychiatrists look at our lifestyle and say, bipolar brains need regularity, predictability, routine. And I am looking at our life as, you know, touring musicians and parent and moms, and as a mom, mom and, um, you know, really trying to wrestle with whether or not it's okay for me to continue to do this and how to make it a healthy, sustainable path. So how do you do that? What, what changes do you make? Well, I mean, the medicines have really helped. Yeah. And then really, um, really thinking about home time as, as rest time and, as, and keeping that as routine as possible. I've recently made, we've had varying uh, success at sticking to it, but I made this very detailed schedule of our home days. Because when you're on tour, it's pretty routine. You know, you're getting up, breakfast, driving a long way, sound check, dinner, taking the kids to bed somewhere, coming back, playing the show, merch, chatting with fans, downshifting, going to bed, doing it all over again. But at home, it's so freeform that that was hard for me. So I, I kind of just kind of, or yeah, just keeping a real sense of routine and predictability at home and really trying to prioritize sleep. Sure. And our kids are now six and two and actually sleeping a little better. So yeah, just just really um, knowing that that's incredible uh, thing that I have to have to stay healthy and, and stable. That's important. Well, thanks for sharing that. That's interesting to hear. And yeah, how hard it would be to figure out a routine doing what you do. It sounds like you've got people to support and help you through that. Yeah. And I think, you know, yeah, because We've done it long enough touring. The, when you're on tour, that has it is a real routine. Yeah, of course. And yeah. now just you know, it's just a different schedule, but really just trying to sleep in when we stay up late, and just knowing that the tour is its own schedule, and then kind of switching to the home schedule. But yeah, just trying to keep some stability within both of those. Sure. But touring is hard for people who have a proclivity towards alcoholism. Yeah. Um, toward I mean, there's so many. There's so many ways that touring is a challenge for people. Um. So have you been to Calgary before? We've played a bunch of the Canadian folk festivals. Okay. So we've played Calgary, Edmonton, Vancouver. Winnipeg and Ottawa. And Ottawa and Winnipeg. Oh, wow. um, but it was, it's, been, it's been several years, so okay. this is our first time back. Oh, and it's really great to be back. Probably a little bit colder than you. <laughs> it's warmed yeah. up actually recently. <laughs> it's like minus 20 or something. Yeah. Uh, I put two coats when it's stuff. So, uh, so what, what have you guys got planned for the next release wise? Are you guys just touring this recent album and still writing and recording the next one maybe? Yeah, well, we have this one that's kind of done that we're just starting to think about shopping around. Okay. Um, and we have. Um, for me, yeah, it's kind of like, I like the Woody Allen school of thought where it's like, finish one finished one movie and then before it even comes out, you are on to the next one. And so if the first, that one that you worked on earlier gets panned or whatever, you just kind of like are removed from the critical success or failure of that project. And I think that's been helpful for me to just kind of seize the momentum of another, the next creative project and kind of move on as quick as possible um, and, and not look back. That's cool, that's powerful to be able to do that. I mean, I found it hard to not just dwell on stuff and figuring out how you're going to market and promote and do all that sort of stuff that goes with it. But to move on creatively to something else, that's cool. And each of your albums seems to be distinctly different as well, so you can kind of see mm -hmm. part of your mental process. Yeah, to just keep it fresh and mm. uh, to follow, yeah, to let the songs kind of guide a lot of that. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, there's just like a new batch now that I'm kind of working at and they have a long you know they have a long way to go so it's just like kind of keep pushing one up the hill and then take a break and push another one up the hill and
what are you aiming for for the next release? Kind of a, another album, full album, or any kind well, of? Yeah, yeah. There's album. another yeah. album that's, but I think uh, excited about nowadays where everybody's kind of moving into back to the singles world mm. and kind of thinking about what what opportunities that presents. It's like, all right, we can just find a producer we want to try one song with. Mm-hmm. Or some musicians, we want to try one thing with, and kind of less of the intense investment of a record and more experimentation. Um, so I think that that is inspiring um, and an exciting idea for me. So I feel like hopefully we'll pursue more of those kind of projects too. That's cool. Well, that's great to hear. I'm looking forward to hearing more. Are we just discovering you? It's, mm-hmm. it's an interesting journey, even this far. Um, thanks for coming on the show, guys. Really yeah, appreciate yeah, your pleasure. time. Thanks for having us. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys play later. Great. So uh, thanks for watching everyone. Uh, You can check out the links of uh, David Wax Museum below. Uh, Like, subscribe, share all those sorts of wonderful things and I'll see you next time. Thank you. So it was really cool to have David Wax Museum on the show and chat about everything, songwriting, guitar-wise, and on the road, and all sorts of things we talked about there in an interview. And I just wanted to finish off this podcast episode with uh, a track of theirs called Uncover the Gold, um, which is from their most recent album. Uh, it's really cool. You should really check it out. And I think they've just released, yeah, they have released uh, a video behind the scenes um, talking about that, kind of a 20-minute documentary um, it's really worth a watch. They're a really cool, unique band, stylistically, and also the music they create and the way they go about it, taking their kids on the road and all sorts of things. So uh, check it out. And this is their track, Uncover the Gold. Darkness here is deep And the raging beasts run wild Even they must leave That's when we'll move my child Every day is a day Every mountain just a small hill Something washes away It uncovers the gold Every day is a day Every mountain just a small hill Something washes away, it uncovers the
Thanks for tuning into the show today. I'll see you next time. If you enjoyed the podcast, it'd be great if you could just share it with people that you think might be interested. And if you have any suggestions for future topics, just send me an email at learn at fretsuccess.com. Cheers.